2: everybody. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Milzoff, Senior Editor at Billboard and Broadway expert here. So, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I particularly love talking about uh, new musicals and to the composers of new musicals on and off-Broadway. Two of my favorite new musicals in recent years were actually fictional, Bombshell and Hit List, which were the shows created on the now cult favorite TV show, Smash smash went off the air in 2013 never forget but its fans will not soon forget bombshell which had music by the broadway veterans mark shaman and scott whitman and hit list which had music by a lot of different people um including dear evan hansen composers benj Pasek and justin paul and by my guest today joe Iconis. Iconis wrote the hitless Anthem sung by Jeremy Jordan, and omnipresent in season two of Smash Broadway Here I Come, and that's what first brought him to my attention and put him on a lot of other theater fans' radar. But he was a prolific writer of musical theater. Uh, he writes music, lyrics, and actual the books of musicals too, uh, long before Smash, and he's only become more active in New York and beyond since then. Most notably, he wrote a show called Be More Chill, which, as he describes in our chat, amazingly achieved viral fame and complete new life on the Internet, actually years after its premiere off Broadway. Very unusual. Uh, The original cast recording for Be More Chill actually spent 35 non-consecutive weeks on Billboard's cast albums chart, first entering the chart in late 2015, then falling off of it, only to re-enter in June 2017 and then stay on the chart until basically the end of February recently, which somewhat reflects the unique trajectory the show has taken as a whole. Uh, Iconist to me is the epitome of the kind of exciting young composers who are really invigorating the world of musical theater now, bringing in both a love of Broadway and pop influences. So I was thrilled to talk to him recently about his diverse influences, Smash, Be More Chill, and a lot more.
0: Falling baby through the sky, through the Here I
1: come Broadway here I come
2: I'm super excited to meet you as a as a hit list obsessive myself yeah. um, <laughs> a kind I of person that. i'm sure you never meet. It's incorrect. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: um,
2: but i guess i wanted to start out by you you have an amazing website that i feel like we should direct people to. It's i feel like everything about it is special from the graphics to like oh you directing goodness. people to use your merch as weapons. <laughs> um, but um i kind of love the way you describe yourself as mm-hmm. a creature of Manhattan who can frequently be spotted banging away at an old dirty piano um which is very evocative. Yeah, <laughs> and I think certainly so. Conjures a, an image of a certain kind of artist. Um, so I guess I just wanted to start with, like, when you were coming up and, and starting as a composer, mm-hmm. like, what were you listening to, and kind of how did you envision yourself in sort of the lineage of music writers?
0: Right, right, right. Um, you know, I, uh, I I grew up as a, a sort of ultimate theater geek. You know, I was very much. Uh, a musical theater kid through and through. Um, I love like classic show tunes. Like I love you know Rodgers and Hammerstein and that kind of thing. Uh, big Steven Sondheim fan. I love Candor and Elba um, uh, Bill Finn. Uh, you know, to, I, the classic musical theater is like my jam. And so, when I was in high school, I only, sort of only listened to cast albums. And then I got to college, I went to NYU, and when I started writing uh, and sort of started discovering my voice uh, at NYU, I, um, I kind of stopped listening to to cast albums and and uh, listened to like only other stuff. And like in college is where I was sort of like, oh, there's um, there's other types of music other than original cast recording you know and so then
2: what a revelation it's,
0: yeah no, exactly it's like oh like this is what other people have been listening to in my whole life while I was listening to like the cast recording of Hedwig and pretending like it was an actual band, you know? (laughs)
1: Um,
0: and so, um, and so there's just like a whole bunch of, of artists that I, I'm obsessed with that I feel like I rip off from all the time. Like I love Dolly Parton a lot. She's probably my favorite songwriter. The Rolling Stones, David Bowie, Amy Mann, White Stripes, uh, Harry Nilsson, a whole bunch of people. And so, um,
2: I'm a big Harry Nelson fan. It's oh cool. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: yeah, that's that's rare. I feel like I never run into fellow Harry Nelson fans. Yes, um, and so yeah, and so my my influences are kind of like all over the place in that way, you know. And I always. Um, as far as how I sort of like fit into the 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 musical theater, you know, writers in like the musical theater writer, uh, uh, whatever the musical theater writer version of like the Hall of Presidents is, like however I fit into that, I guess mm-hmm. is um, I always imagined uh, being someone who had like had a foot in the past and a and a foot in the the future, you know, or it sort of feels like I'm sort of honoring these like these like golden age traditions of like melody and structure and that kind of thing, um but also uh, doing stuff that feels like contemporary and and uh, uh, and edgy and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, you know, so it's like a marriage of like old and new, I guess
2: well, it's interesting to hear that you actually got into musical theater first because mm-hmm. I hear such strong kind of classic rock influences in your music and I was kind of curious whether when you got got into musical theater whether there were specific things that you loved about classic musicals that you wanted to carry through in your writing and specific things that you wanted to kind of be pushing forward because I feel like you particularly have have done a lot whether purposely or by chance Mm -hmm. to kind of show where musical theater can go beyond like a
0: traditional stage environment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I... um, I'm someone who I just I value I value uh, good songwriting. I value um, the the structure of classic musical theater and the integrity of the writing and. Um, and, and so that's so like in my bones, that kind of that style of writing, that that's something that uh, it's just it's just how I know how to write. You know, and it's how I uh, when I approach a, a, a piece of theater, it's um, I'm, I always have that basis. Right. And so for me, it's like having that basis and then having the literal sound pull from things that are contemporary and having the vibe of it feel like something that, you know, um, that 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 couldn't have been done in, in 1950, whatever. Um, and so uh, uh, and so, yeah. Like I'm not one of those people that I I, I don't write musicals like for people who hate musicals. <laughs> you know, like I'm. It's I, I feel like you always hear that about like rock musicals or something. Right? Oh, it's mm-hmm. the musical for people who hate musicals, and that's so not. I don't want to do that. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I I like the idea of people who love musicals actually like listening to my stuff and and being able to respond to it just as much as people who don't know musical theater at all. Mm-hmm. You know, and and also for me, I think um, if there's like a Uh, contemporariness to my to my 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 music I think it's also in the lyrics too you know I think a lot of the stuff that makes my stuff maybe feel like uh uh, not traditional is I feel like I tend to write about really small moments that are sort of blown out into something bigger mm-hmm. um, and that kind of stuff for me really comes from from film. I'm like a big movie guy and so a lot of my musical theater stuff I feel like I'm, I'm ripping off from movies just as much as I'm ripping off from like other musicals. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, yeah.
2: But I, I mean that makes sense because I feel like there is something sort of cinematic to the way I think of you like mm-hmm. even visually because you're I mean I don't think it's Terribly common, necessarily, with um, composer lyricists to be as comfortable performing
0: mm-hmm. as you are. Sure,
2: um, has that always been a side of you?
0: No, definitely <laughs> not. I was uh, I was a, a shy kid, and um, and I uh, not like painfully shy, just like a shy kid. And I I feel like I sort of found my voice as a writer in college as i was sort of like finding who i was as a as a human being you know and and um when i first started writing the idea of performing was like super scary to me and i started doing it just out of necessity where it was like okay well i wrote these songs and i need to i need to Play them for someone, you know, and um, and it's just me, and so I got to do it, and so it started like that, and then it just kind of grew and grew and grew, and you know, I always sort of like, I, I always love singer songwriters, and 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 real people music has been a passion of mine for a while, and you know, I always like had fantasies about uh, being, you know, like a rock star, and <laughs> and that whole thing, never thinking that I would ever feel comfortable enough to to approach that. Um, or you know to perform at all and so it's really like i'm i'm the most surprised by the amount that i perform and by like the reality of me essentially being like a frontman for a, a rock band, you know, which is like sort of what the Iconison family thing is. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't what I thought was going to happen mm-hmm. um, uh, to me or happen in my life at all. And it's like so funny that I, you know, I sort of identify now as like a writer performer. And uh, my, my mom, like a few years ago, I, I, I was talking to her and, uh, you know, someone had asked me to sing at something and, and I told her, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go sing it, sing at this event or something. And she went like, why, why would you be singing? It's like, well, I, I do that now. It's like, what? And it's like a couple of years ago. Like I've been doing it for, you know, like 10 years or something. Yeah. Um, but it's just so, it's so not what I ever thought I was going to be doing.
2: That's funny. Well, and now I think of you as like the piano man incarnate, basically. <laughs> yeah, I'll take
0: it. I'll take it. You know, I'm clearly cultivating that. Yes. So.
2: Yeah. So, like, as your music is starting to get sort of better known, um, I know you you have kind of a group of artists around you who mm-hmm. you call the family, um, mm-hmm. and I think of you as someone who I well, I've had um, the Kerrigan Letter Milk Duo on mm-hmm. this podcast too, and. I heard there uh, are yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I so I first heard of them cuz I was like looking up people who uh-huh. I like as performers and then they were all always singing their music and it was kind of the same thing with you. So mm-hmm. how who are these people? How did you kind of cultivate them and like how important have they been to your music becoming known on a wider level?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, this whole idea of the family is such a funny thing because it first started, um, it, it all happened very organically, you know. And I when I first started doing concerts and stuff, um, I would ask these actors who I was just, you know, fans of. And it was actors who I was, you know, seeing in shows or actors who I had met or actors who had been in shows of mine. Um, and I just, I, I love actors. I love good actors. I love actors who feel not sparkly. Um, a lot of, like, musical theater performers. No, frankly- it's Yeah, yeah, you know, like, um, it's just my my thing, you know? As far as, like, musical theater performers go, um, I, I tend to respond to musical theater performers who are actors first and singers second, and even, you know, even the ones who have amazing voices. I just like, um, I, I like a good actor, you know? And so, mm-hmm. for me, it's like if I see an actor that I love and that I work with that actor, and she or he uh, is someone that I connect with, I just feel like oh, I want to keep this person around forever and ever. Um, um, until they get sick of me and and leave me, but until that time, I want to keep them around, and so that's uh, sort of how the the whole family started. Where I just sort of found myself performing with this like troupe, you know, and people sort of came and went uh, based on availability, and it's like this ever expanding and contracting thing. Um, but we started doing you know these concerts, and I just started started calling it the family because um, it, it always bugs me when you see concerts and it's like so and so and friends. Yes, because I've always <laughs> thought like you're not. Friends with that person, like that's that's a lie. Like this is a big fake, you know, lie. Mm. So I like the idea of of uh, of of going even further and being like family. You know, it's like more than friends. We're we're in it together, <laughs> yes. and also like we actually are friends. You know, so many of the people that I collaborate with um, are, you know, they're my best friends in the whole world. And so um, yeah, and so that's how it kind of kind of started and and evolved, and now it's just like this mammoth this mammoth thing uh where there's i guess many people who would be considered family members and i have people asking me like how do i audition to be in the family and it's like (laughs) it's not like that it just sort of happens you know um
2: People in the family don't talk about being in the family. First, <laughs> yeah. The first rule of being in the family. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> I also like it because it's so, uh, it feels like kind of pretentious uh, in a way that I, I really enjoy, you know? Excellent. I, yeah. Always, it's...
2: always strive for pretentious above all. <laughs> yeah, of
0: course. So theatery. <laughs> yes. you know? Um, but I mean, uh, it's it's one of those things where, of, of course, I think anytime you're, you're working with, um, you know, good actors who get themselves out in the world, it can only help, you know, get your get your music out in the world. You know, and I'm I'm really proud of the fact that any any actor, um, probably for you know, with the exception of like one or two people that I've ever worked with that's ever sung my stuff, uh, are people that I think are great, and I and. Um, and I and I, I work with them because I think they're great, not because I think they're going to like get me YouTube hits. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm so not into like the theater star fucking thing, uh, just because I think it's I think it's gross and I think it's like embarrassing because you know like the theater star fucking thing is like it don't the only most of the people who are like theater famous are only theater famous and so I always feel like you know when I see these (laughs) concerts so far (laughs) exactly I see these concerts and you see people like use you know this whatever you know like theater star you know that they're just using them so they could like you know get some attention and I always think like it's not you're not even going to get that much attention by using this like random person who you Mm -mm. perceive as being famous Um, so you know I try to like use people who I think are good sometimes they happen to be theater famous and sometimes no one knows who the hell they are Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the thing that I like care about the most. Like a, you know great, great performers and interesting actors and all that.
2: So, um, but we will talk about be more chill. But before that, I, I do have to ask you about Smash a little bit. Yeah, please um, do. <laughs> people are obsessed with Smash still um, for know. good reason, and um, particularly people are very passionate about the shows within the show mm-hmm. and um, whether Bombshell and Hitlist will ever get made in the real world. <laughs> do you have any update for us?
0: <laughs> I have. I sadly have no update. People do ask me about it all the time. I feel like if if one of those shows was gonna get made in the real world it would be bombshell it just it's because it's like you know it's just like uh, Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman it feels like a more like contained thing and hitless. Yeah. was such like a like a bastard child like 10 million writers well, yeah and- it was
2: very I was gonna say it has to have been the strangest experience because you started out just writing a couple songs for it right mm-hmm. and then it kind of Evolved into you writing more songs for it, but then also like various other writers involved. So, yeah. how did that all happen?
0: You know, it was just the strange, it was very strange, very incredible. It happened because uh, Josh Saffron, who was the showrunner of season two of Smash, uh, unbeknownst to me, was just a fan of mine. And he was like coming to my concerts, I didn't even know. Awesome. And he lir- literally approached me. Uh, outside a concert at the Beachman, uh, you know, a few years ago, uh, as I was loading drums into my friend's car, uh, and he was like, Hi, my name is Josh Saffron, and uh, I'm here with a table full of people from NBC, and I, I'm <laughs> taking over the show Smash, and I wanted to talk to you about writing some songs for it. It was literally that. And like, and um, the the two, I, I only had two songs on the, the show, but they repeated Broadway It Come like a million times, so it feels yeah. like I, I sort of had more. Um, but uh, Broadway, Here I Come was, you know, it was a song that was already written, and Josh had actually written that first episode of season two based around Broadway, Here I Come, without me knowing, mm-hmm. and so uh, it was just this whole crazy thing where, like, and so like they, he used that to to in his in his spec. Script, right? And then he said that, um, that the people, uh, some of the people, uh, at NBC thought maybe that the song was too sad, too slow. So could I write another song that was sort of like it that could like do the same thing? And so I did that, but that song wasn't very good. And so then it's, it was like a lot of back and forth. And then Broadway, Hair I Come, just sort of like ended up last minute on the show. Um, and I think they were very happy with it. And, uh, I certainly was. And yeah, so it was like, it was a very surreal. Is surreal. It was very bizarre. and, um, yeah, I'm like very, very proud to have been a part of it. And I'm really proud of the two songs of mine that that ended up on that show mm-hmm. you know? I,
2: I mean, i'm when you become so known for one thing like that i mm-hmm. I wonder, like, is it nothing but a good thing for you, or was it like hard to kind of move on to the next step beyond Smash at all? Or was it really just sort of like a moment and you went along with your usual stuff?
0: It was, uh, I think it was a moment. You know, I'm, I'm someone who always has like 10 million things going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know, having, having Broadway, Hair Come and the Goodbye Song on Smash was, uh, it was really exciting. And for me, it was only good because I was really proud of those songs. And I mean, that's the only time a song of mine has ever been, uh, uh given a platform the size of, of, of that, you know, that's not the only time a song of mine's ever been you know, on a TV show where it's being heard by millions of people. and so um and so that was only great. And for me, it's like, oh cool, like all of these people who never would have heard my stuff have now heard it. And so um because I was proud of the song, I felt like nothing but nothing but good about it. And in retrospect, feel nothing but good about it. If I if I like wrote a terrible song where I felt like I was selling out in some way, or I felt like I was compromising my voice, um, then I might be like, oh screw that, you know. I can't mm-hmm. believe that's the thing that people know me for. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's not that. I like the song a lot, and uh, my favorite thing about it is that you know so many people um, don't realize that the song is about suicide. You know, and the, the song is about half suicide and half making it on Broadway. And mm-hmm. some people just get the making it on Broadway part of the song, and so like you know they do that song like elementary school graduations and stuff um, and I love that it, it totally works like it totally works and they can and like kids can sing it and like no one gets the other meaning of it and I love that I love that that song is like yeah. is, is is succeeds on that level for anyone who wants to just take it on that level and I mm-hmm. love that then there's some people who are like um wait a minute this song's about suicide um, so in the, and in that regard I feel like I like pulled one I I, I pulled a fast one or something you know <laughs> on, like, on millions of people and like I got this suicide song on NBC, yes, and, and no and one like, really noticed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is this like? Yeah, uh, no, I know. What? And it's like, and what's crazy about it too is that I, you know, I wrote that song when I was like super depressed uh, and like not feeling great about about life and life and theater and all of that. Um, and it's just hilarious to me that that's like the only thing I've ever written that's ever like made me money. You know, it's like I made some like actual real people money. Well, I, mean, I made like Pizek and Palm money from that one song. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's the song that I wrote when I was feeling sad, like in my bedroom, you know? So that's kind of cool.
2: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
0: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt.
2: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
2: Well, it's, I mean, it's funny that uh, you were like, you like wrote for something that has become a cult hit in a weird way. That's like a (laughs) fictional cult hit. And now you have a real cult hit on your hands. (laughs) I know, I know. So, so, Be More Chill, why don't, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a big Joe Iconis fan mm-hmm. um, recently, and she was like, Ooh. it's so strange, I love Be More Chill, but I realize that I, I'm not even entirely clear about what the story is because I've only listened to it, Yeah, and that yeah. has to be the case for so many people, so why don't you start by just giving sort of an overview of what the story of the show is.
0: Totally. So, Be More Chill is a musical that's about this kid named Jeremy here, and he is a really average high school Student, there's nothing special about him at all. He's not, uh, he's not like weird enough to be like a total loser. He's not cool enough to be a popular kid. He's just not special. And um, Jeremy finds out that uh, there's this thing called a squip that exists, and uh, the squip is a supercomputer uh, that is inside of a tiny pill. And uh, you take this pill and the supercomputer implants in your brain and then a voice tells you how to behave. And Jeremy finds out that all of the kids who are cool in high school take a squip. That's why they're cool because there's this voice that's literally telling them how to move about the day. And, um, and in the, the show, Jeremy decides he's gonna get a squip and see if it can help make him cool. And it's sort of his journey um, with... With that, that's the that's the the general story, and the the vibe of it is uh, it kind of is like a sci-fi, musical comedy. It sort of feels like a like a '90s teen movie mixed with like an '80s horror film, mm-hmm. mixed with like a, a very serious story about teenage uh, depression and suicide and all that kind of stuff.
2: Um, and it's based on a very popular YA novel mm-hmm. as well, right?
0: Yes, yeah. by the late Ned Vizzini. Um, yeah.
2: Did. it's kind of a funny story it's kind of right? a funny story yes, yeah for sure movie. Yeah. Um, so I mean there are so many sort of uncanny things about this mm-hmm. show I mean starting with the fact that it premiered a few years ago yeah. now and um, it is hard not to think of it as like like almost like a proto Dear Evan in a weird way, yeah, um, yeah. and you know talking about technology and the weird socialness of high school, mm-hmm. and um, it seems pretty uh, prescient on your part to turn that into a musical, <laughs> and um, but it's so the the um, evolution of interest in it has been so unusual that like in the past year, all of a sudden there's been this like wave of interest on the internet mm-hmm. and from the youth, as I like to say,
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> capital Y,
2: yeah. So, I mean, when I guess kind of take me through that process a little bit. And when when was the moment that you realize all of a sudden this sort of. Influx of interest was happening, sort mm-hmm. of out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, totally. So, uh, so Chill opens in uh, June of 2015 at Two River Theater in Red Bank, New Jersey, and, <laughs> um, and where all
2: Broadway hits begin. Exactly.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we there was a lot of momentum going into that opening, and people felt like, oh, this show is going to be a show that like is really successful and transfers to a fancy nonprofit. Off Broadway theater, and then Broadway, and like everyone was like, it felt like, oh, this is like mm-hmm. a cool commercial show. This is like gonna be the show that like goes all the way, you know. I'm just saying, in my in my career, I've had a few shows where there's been that sort of feeling, and then one thing has led to another, and like the show has. Um, uh, died, And so okay. <laughs> this was in <laughs> in, in, <laughs> in 2015, it was like, oh, b show, this is going to be the one. This is this is it. Right. And so uh, essentially the same thing that had happened with other shows, it might happen with that. We're like, there's all this momentum and people loved the show who saw it, but we couldn't get the right people in the theater to see it. And uh, it just kind of closed. And that was it. Um, the magic thing was that the theater uh, really was proud of the show. And they were like, we want to make a cast album of this thing. And uh, they made it happen. And, you know, cast albums are super expensive uh, and, you know, very cross-prohibitive. But the theater, uh, the theater was like, no, we want to preserve this uh, this score, this show. And so we made the album uh, right after we closed. And it came out. And people liked it a lot. But, it, you know, it people liked it in the way they like any musical cast album that comes out, which is to say that, like, the ultimate theater fans are going to, like, be into it. And no one else uh, really gives a shit at all because no one buys music. Anymore anyway, uh, mm. and they especially don't buy cast albums, <laughs> and so uh, and so you know, Be More Chill was just kind of there, and um, and uh, people liked it fine, but it wasn't like a phenomenon or anything like that. And so then, like in May of last year, uh, I just started noticing you know like stuff pop up on like Twitter and and Instagram and um, of kids uh, writing about Be More Chill and kids like tagging me in things. Um, talking about like discovering this new show. And then it started like growing and growing and growing. And then there started to be all of this fan art where they were drawing characters from the show. Um, and it just it, it just kept growing and growing and growing until it became like, it's like literally a phenomenon. It's really the weirdest the weirdest thing that's ever happened. I've had so many meetings about it now and like literally no one can explain why it happened. It's the most like word of mouth, <laughs> totally organic thing. There was no Somebody driving to force. Somebody
2: needs like a PhD thesis about it. Seriously, yeah. There was
0: no driving force behind it. Like that's the amazing thing. No commercial producer, it was attached to the show at all. um They're you know like bless them like ghost Ghostlight. It's an amazing record label, but like they didn't do anything to like push the album. Mm-hmm. They, no one did anything, and it just happened. And um and it's it's been this like this monster that keeps growing and and growing and growing. You know, I'm like um, yesterday we uh, you know I had a meeting. Uh, the, with the record label, and uh, we're at uh, ninety four million streams on Spotify, That's and it's crazy ninety four million. Like it's like the numbers are, are are nuts. They're like you know, the uh, it's, it's it's obviously not a competition, but to put it in perspective, it's like the the number it's like Dear Evan Hansen slash Hamilton numbers. Those are the only other things that are like mm-hmm. in our in our ballpark, which is amazing because it was a show that essentially played for six weeks in New Jersey without <laughs> any behind it at all you know and so it's uh it's really incredible it's like the most amazing thing and um yeah it's just it's just great and it's really exciting and I'm excited to see what we can what we can do with this
2: attention you know well it's I mean I think of it um, the the phenomenon is almost like a a spring awakening kind of thing in terms of specifically Mm -hmm. the way that like very young people seem to really attach themselves to it and like the fact that it's inspiring internet fan art is oh, yeah. insane. I mean, what do you have any theories about why it's connecting so much to young people and why maybe now?
0: Um, I think, you know, I when I was writing it, I talked so much to, to, to people, um, and when I say people, I mean like very smart theater people and producers and, and those sorts of people, about how I was writing a show about uh, about Anxiety and depression, and and actual kids who feel like they didn't belong, and 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 kids who didn't know if they were gay or straight or whatever, uh, and like stuff that that kids were actually going through. And I feel like uh, a lot of people would look at the show and be like, "Oh, this is like a silly sci-fi comedy," and like that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for me. To have kids so immediately like respond to all of the things that I said the show is about uh, is like the most amazing thing, and I think that they they're responding because that's that's like that's what I wrote, you know. And and I um I I feel like I I write for myself when I write, and uh, I've had like very many of the experiences that like the characters in More Chill have have had, and I love writing for young people. Um, because I feel like they, young people, have like you know all of the, all of the stuff like going on inside of them um, that adults do, but they don't always have the vocabulary with which to express that, and they also have not built up the walls that we as adults build up mm-hmm. um, that stops them from uh, <laughs> from expressing as best they can, uh, and so and so that's I just tried to write that the best I the best I could, and so. Um, yeah, I mean, and I think that like the 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 kids just they they pick up on that, you know. And it's like I never, I, I wasn't like writing down to anyone, and um I was trying to just write truthfully and 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 let these like kids have you know integrity and and have uh have a voice. And I think that um the fans just kind of pick up on that, you know. Mm-hmm. And also like I and all and all my writing, I, I always try to write um I I always say that I I, I write musicals like. For about people who normally don't get musicals written about them and um, in Be More Chill all of the characters are characters who are like in between the lines you know it's like no one quite knows what they want to be mm-hmm. it's not like oh this one is our you know this is our leading man and this is the geek and this is the that it's like everyone is sort of in between which I that's been my experience of like life right that it's mm-hmm. like it's not as simple as you know this is the star and this is the sidekick and um, it's like it's messy and, and and that's what I wanted to to put on the stage and I think that like you know people people uh, relate to that.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, do you see it possibly having like retroactively a life in a big commercial theater? Like would I, you like it to be on Broadway eventually?
0: Of course, yeah, <laughs> I certainly hope so. I mean, I you know, I wrote it to be to 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 be seen by as many people as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm someone who I uh, even though I think the perception of me is that I'm like like downtown edgy, you know, <laughs> like too cool for school. Uh, but I I love the idea of Broadway. I think I love it as a place where you know like strange little shows can exist literally next door to you know the Phantom of the Opera and, and Lion King and all that. And so um, yeah, and so I would love Beamer to to be on Broadway or really just in any theater um, in. New York City. Mm-hmm. Any theater, but like one especially in New York City because it would be cool to uh, go see it and then be able to walk home.
2: And <laughs> at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and in the meantime, I mean, it's it's being produced kind of all over the place. All I, over li- the place. I was like looking at your Rodgers and Hammerstein mm-hmm. page and like just the list of Theaters, and it was just like so crazy, like the number of pages that you have to click on.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the you know, the license has only been available for a few months, and there's just been like a huge, uh, uh, a huge explosion of Be More Chill productions all over the place.
2: It's well, it's they a... did it
0: in Germany last week.
2: How do you say Be More Chill in German?
0: I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um well I, it kind of gets you thinking about the way that shows that shows can happen and mm-hmm. what the what the right stage is for a show I mean, has it made you reconsider like what success constitutes for a musical and you know the the different ways that musicals can succeed
0: um yeah, maybe well, i don't I don't know <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question
2: <laughs> well i mean it's just it's, it's funny to the, just generally, I feel like the idea of musicals that kind of Maybe live on the internet before they live on mm-hmm. um, a stage, stage mm-hmm. or have maybe are better known on the internet than mm-hmm. for a stage production. Um, is an interesting, just idea to me in uh, terms yeah. of like where musicals may be going. I got you. I got you.
0: Yeah, I think I, I think so. It's so strange because I you know I write I write these I write these things to be seen live. You know I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm kind of a purist in that way where it's like I you know I don't really. I don't really ever care about, like, talking about movie versions of things or, like, streamed versions of things. And I, I think those are all great. And if that exposes someone to the work, awesome. But I, you know, I, I like live shows. I like to be in a room with a group of people and experience this thing all together. And so that's that's how I'm writing these things and, and, and why I'm writing them. And it's just it's just bizarre that, you know, so many people have experienced my work. Not that way, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and it's it's amazing, it's incredible, and like I'm really thankful for it. It's just like a strange it's a strange uh thing, yeah to no. me, you know? well, it's
2: not something you can plan for sure, yeah, it just happens, and it has gone well,
0: yeah, um that's
2: cool <laughs> uh I would love to hear too about anything else that you have kind of in process because when sure. i I've, I've I've read about your in development things, and there's like a hunter s. Thompson musical that yes. I wanted to know about yes, yes, yes,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I've been working on this Hunter S. Thompson musical for very many years, and <laughs> it's uh, it's in development with La Jolla Playhouse, and uh, Chris Ashley has been directing it, and it's uh, yeah, it's a musical about the life of Hunter S. Thompson, or you know, a sliver of his life. And uh, Hunter S. Thompson, uh, for those who don't know, is the writer of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and very many other things. Um, and uh, yeah, it's sort of like a crazy, a crazy uh, doc. You musical, but not really. I don't even know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> what
2: does Hunter S. Thompson's singing voice sound like? Is it's, what I want to know. <laughs>
0: you know, it's uh, so many people have said that the the real reason that I wanted to do it, and like I've always liked Hunter S. Thompson, but I was never like a Hunter S. Thompson obsessive. I just you know I, I liked his work and and Fear and Loathing and stuff. Um, but I I initially was like, oh man, I got to write this musical because it's I think it's a really bad idea for a musical like the idea of like <laughs> putting Hunter S. Thompson both as the star of a musical and as like you're singing you know leading man uh, it's just a terrible idea and the way that he speaks which is kind of iconic um, he has you know he, he was a huge drug user and so he has this like you know very strange way of speaking that's like very like like labored and he's hard to understand and it just feels yeah. like oh what fool would try to write that guy as a musical um, so I was like I have to that's do bad. it yeah this guy yeah neon arrows right to my head (laughs) Um, and so it's very like it's like half spoken half sung he kind of like works himself up into singing I think I'm excited about it. I think it'll be one of those shows that uh, that people see and are like really electrified by, and um, people will like write really nice things about the show and say it's brilliant. Or it'll be one of those shows that's just like a total disaster. And <laughs> like, people will like literally hate it. Like audiences will walk out. Critics will be like, "This is an, a complete misfire." Joe Iconis is an asshole. <laughs> um, but you know, I hope not. I think it's cool.
2: Either way, it'll be an adventure. It's definitely
0: not boring. I'll say that. Not boring at all. Um, So yeah, I'm super excited about that. And then uh, I just did this other show uh, at Penn State uh, a few weeks ago, we finished, uh, and it's called Love and Hate Nation, and it's a uh, musical that's a romance between two girls in a uh, juvie hall for girls in 1962, Whoa. and it's um, it's sort of the story of like a group of young women who learn how to be revolutionaries, um, and it has a, a, a like a 60s girl group uh, score kind of is filtered through like a 90s riot girl aesthetic. Uh, oh, yeah, that so sounds awesome. I think I, I think so. I like it a lot. I'm really proud of it, and so we did this. Um this, this production at Penn State using Penn State students um, who were like the most brilliant actors uh, ever uh, playing roles that were like they were like age appropriate for it wasn't like that weird thing where college students are playing sixty year olds yes. um, and so it felt like real <laughs> okay. because you know
1: because
0: uh, it was uh, and so we did that and now uh, now I'm I'm trying to find uh, a commercial producer who uh, wants to, to take that on and wants to produce a show with uh, with eight eight women. And one token white guy.
2: Well, if there's a moment for it, that moment is now. So I think so.
0: I think. I hope. But that moment should also be like always. Yeah. You know?
2: It, sh- it should be normal. And this is uh, a yeah. first step. And I who doesn't want to hear <laughs> girl 60s girl groups meets
0: riot girl? That it, it sounds amazing. I think it's really fun. Yeah. it's Yeah. So I'm excited about that. And then I have the show, Broadway Bounty Hunter, that we did at Barrington Stage Company a couple years ago that uh, I'm also trying to get back on a stage. And that's, uh, that musical is a musical uh, that I wrote for uh, one of my, my favorite human beings, Annie Golden. Uh, and it's about uh, a musical theater actress of a certain age who's down on her luck and uh, she can't get work because uh, it's, it's hard for a woman of a certain age in theater and in life. And uh, through a series of events, she gets wrapped up in the world of bounty hunting, and it's about uh, her That's bounty hunting yeah, adventure <laughs> to South America, and it's told in the style of exploitation films of the 70s, so it has like a black exploitation kung fu uh, bent to awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah. I
2: want to see Annie Golden doing kung fu.
0: Now. It's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, well, it all sounds incredible, um, and it's so great to talk
0: to you. Great to talk to you, too. Yeah. This is fun. Thanks for having me.
1: Wait as long as I need
0: till my face is dry or I'll just blame it on weed or something in
2: If you're a fan of Billboard on Broadway, please subscribe on iTunes. Give us stars and nice reviews. And if you would like to tweet about the podcast, use the hashtag Billboard on Broadway. You can tweet at me at Rebecca Millsoff, and hope to have you back next week. Oh, oh, oh.
1: Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgentatter. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi er skidetræt af alle de der podcast og forklarer meget der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulige ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi udrede. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjovt og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmakle.